Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Well, good morning and welcome to worship uh, this morning and the day before the new year, right? Uh, It's it's coming up uh, in in just a few hours. Uh, But if we haven't met, my name is Nathan Miller. I'm the adult pastor uh, here at Concord and I get the great uh, privilege to lead all of our uh, adult discipleship um, here. And so that includes our Bible study groups to classes to our men's and women's ministries and and a a whole slew of other things. And so I've got a great team and it's a great privilege to be able to be here. We've been here for about two and a half years now and, and really, we just love this place. We've fallen in love with, uh, with you guys. And so it, every day I get to walk into this place and it's just such an exciting opportunity to be here and to be able to serve uh, with you. But, you know, this is the time of year when, uh, you know, it's a new year. We're starting off a lot of new things. If you haven't yet plugged in a Bible study group, I want to encourage you to do that. You know, next week, just, you know, grab a Bible study group sheet, like find one that you want to go to and, uh, and pop in next week and, and visit them. And I know that they would love to have you. Um, this uh, coming Wednesday, or uh, on January 10th, excuse me, uh, we are launching all of our uh, fall discipleship classes or our winter discipleship uh, classes. And so we've got our uh, kids' ministry, our student ministry is back in full swing. We're going to have a special session for adults uh, where we're going to talk about our discipleship strategy. So if you're wondering how you can kind of plug in and what it looks like to grow as a disciple here, uh, we've got an opportunity on January 10th, and then all of our normal classes start on the 17th. And then, of course, if you've seen, the men's conference is coming up at the end of uh, the month, so February 2nd and 3rd. So, church, we've got a lot of ways for you to plug in as we start off the new year. But I'm so glad to be with you this morning and to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. I'm grateful for John Mark, um, and we can pray for him as he's on vacation, uh, spending some time with his family. But I'm grateful to have the opportunity to be able to preach in his, st- in his stead, and uh, he's just such a wonderful leader. I know that you guys see it, but it's a great privilege. I hope, hope you know all this great stuff that we see happening here at uh, Concord is really comes from his leadership uh, to us. And so I'm grateful to serve uh, with him, and I know that uh, he is grateful to be here uh, with you. Uh, but if you join me in your Bibles this morning in Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to look at a, a great story. You know, Christmas is behind us. Um, you know, some of you probably have already taken down your Christmas decorations. You know, others of you will probably be still trying to take them down in March. Um, there's a new trend now where you actually just leave them up all year. I don't know if I'm going to do that, but those of you that take it up and put it up in March are probably the ones who put it up in July anyways and listen to Christmas music before October 31st, which is illegal, but that's another time and sermon for another day. But, um, you know, this is the time of year where typically we're kind of between Christmas and New Year's, New Year's and we're turning our attention to, you know, a new year. And I mean, there's nothing magically that's going to happen at the stroke of midnight. Uh, it's literally just going to be a few hours from now. But for some reason, like mentally, our minds kind of shift where, where we use times like a new year to, to reevaluate where we are spiritually, mentally, physically. It's a time where we set goals to, to look uh, forward to the new years. Maybe 2023 has been a horrible year and you want, you're looking for a reset, which is you know, a great little story that we're going to be in today in the book of Jonah because there's somebody that made some choices, had some consequences, and he needed a do-over and he needed a re, uh, reset. But you know, New Year's is always a good time to think through that. And so, you know, as we look at the book of Jonah this morning, we're going to see a lot of challenges uh, for us, I think, as we, we look and we press towards 
the new year. But, you know, when we think about the book of Jonah, we, we think about, you know, Jonah the prophet, we think about the fish, we think about the storm, we think about Nineveh, I mean, all of the, the stories that we traditionally think of. Um, but Jonah, the book of Jonah is not the first time that we're introduced to the prophet Jonah. And so I want us to see a little bit of a background because oftentimes when we approach the book of Jonah, we think we see a guy who's been called to ministry and then he chose not to go into ministry and he ran from God. And, you know, I mean, you know the rest of the story there, but yet oftentimes we look at Jonah and we say, well, that doesn't really apply to me because I'm not called to ministry. So I'm not running from a call to ministry. And so I'm just going to gloss over the pages, these four, four short chapters. But when we look at really the, what's happening and, and historically, we see that the book of Jonah is applicable to all of us. And we're going to find ourselves so oftentimes in the place of where Jonah is. You know, we're first introduced to the prophet Jonah actually in the book of 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 14, we see that Jonah is actually a prophet um, serving uh, during the time of Jeroboam II. Uh, and in verse 25 of chapter 14 of 2 Kings, like God gives Jonah a word from the Lord, just like we're going to see here in Jonah chapter 1. So God tells him like, hey, I, I want you to go to the king and I want you to like sure up the borders to the north against the Assyrians. Um, you know, the borders are a little weak, like you need to protect your people. And so, so Jonah, what does he do? He goes to Jeroboam the second and says, hey, God told me to tell you that you need to, to reinforce the borders to protect you know, God's people from their enemies. What does Jeroboam do? He does it. They see peace and prosperity for a while. Next thing you know, woohoo, you know, here's Jonah. He's a hero um, and everyone loves him and it's great. You know, and this is Jonah, and if that was the only story that we had of Jonah in the Bible, then we would have a very different perspective on him. But yet, we have the book of Jonah that gives us a different perspective of him. You know, I think that's a challenge for us because we're not ultimately defined by like one or two spiritual uh, victories that we've had in our lives. We're really judged by the totality of how we live our life. And so here was a guy who heard the word of the Lord, he obeyed the word of the Lord, God, God blessed him, God was blessing his ministry in the book of 2 Kings, but yet we find another story where the word of God comes to, to the prophet Jonah again, and yet we're going to see a very, very different story uh, play out in his uh, life. And so let's go ahead and let's jump into this text here this morning, let's read it, and then we'll kind of walk uh, through it a little bit this morning. So why don't you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. So find your place in Jonah chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and he said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? 
And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to uh, them, what shall we do to you? And the sea may quiet down for us. And for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up. Hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to God, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you." So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In our text today, we see really a picture of a prophet who's running from the mercy of God. There's lots of themes that really we begin to see. We see deep consequences of his disobedience. We see the relentless pursuit of a sovereign God. I mean, we're going to see the goodness, like what we just sang about a few minutes ago. We're going to see the goodness of a God who loves this prophet and loves the people, and he'll spare no expense in going after him. We're going to see the grace of our forgiving God. And so there's so many themes that play out in here. So let's go ahead and jump in. And first of all, you see, when we look at these first few verses, when we run from God's mercy, we see that ultimately we're fleeing from God's presence. You know, when we run from God's mercy, we're we're not not just disobeying God, but yet we're literally turning our back on him and fleeing from his presence. I mean, look at verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So God's given him something to say. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So this is what Jonah has been charged to do and what he's been asked today to do. And, and so today the ruins of Nineveh, I mean, you can still go to it and you can see it. It's in uh, the country of Iraq, about 250 miles north of Baghdad is where the rubble still lies for Nineveh. And so God wants Jonah to go preach against Nineveh because their evil has come up before him. You know, and let this be a little bit of a warning for us because often when we look at the world, I mean, you turn on the news and you just see the atrocities and the violence and the wars and all the things that that we see in the world around us, maybe even in our own country. And we sometimes, you know, ask the question like, where's God? You know, are you, do you care about what's going on? Is God just sitting complacent on his throne, ignoring the atrocities of the world? You know, no, we see in this passage as well as others throughout the scriptures that, that God is very much aware of what's happening in the world. God is patient and he's gracious to the nations, but there comes a point in a nation's life, there comes a point in a person's life when God's patience for for that that sin, that patience for what's happening in their, their lives where they, you know, God just basically says, hey, I've had enough. You know, and that's what we see here in this text. You know, Nineveh um, here is... Uh, is, you know, done. You know, they've been sinning. They've, they've had a lot of atrocities that they've done. And so God wants Jonah to go preach against Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. 
You say, well, wait a minute, wasn't that the same people that God told you know, Jonah to have a word to build the borders to protect your people? Well, yes, it's the same one. You know, so here, like at one moment, God says one thing uh, for Jonah to do, and now he's telling him to do something completely different and completely outside of the box. You know, the time has come for Nineveh, and God is tired of their evil. Their evil has come up before him, and he wants to judge them. Now, Nineveh is an interesting place, and our author here gives us a couple of, like, pictures about what this place is like, and he describes it in two ways. He says, it's a great city, um, and it's a wicked city. Very two interesting words. So it's a great city. It was a huge city. In fact, later in the book of Jonah, you're going to see Jonah describe it as literally taking three days to walk from one end of the city to the other. Historians tell us that you could literally line up three chariots side by side and ride those chariots along the top of the wall. Uh, I mean, so this is a fortified city. It's a protected city. It's also the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's a cultural economic hub of the most powerful nation in the world at the time. Like this is, this is a powerful place um, and that God is now telling Jonah, like, hey, you need to go and you need to share this with them. And so yet also look at what the text says. You know, it's also described as a very wicked city. You know, the Ninevites were known, uh, the Assyrians were known as some of the cruelest people on the planet. In fact, they, their brutality and war was unmatched. I mean, they would go in and they would conquer a people and they would literally skin them alive, bury them in the sand and nail their tongues to the ground. Uh, I mean, this isn't the people that you want to go on a family vacation to, uh, you know, pack up and go to Disney World for, for Christmas here. This isn't the place that you want to go visit. I mean, listen to one account of an Assyrian king. Like this is an Assyrian king describing uh, the people that they are. He says, many of the captives I've burned with fire, many I've t- taken alive. For some, I cut off their hands, their wrists. From others, I've cut off their noses, ears, and fingers. And I've put out eyes of many soldiers. I've burned their young men and their women to death. Like this was the reputation of the Assyrian empire. But yet, like God still, despite all of this, like this is still the place where God wanted Jonah to go. But I want you to sense the tension this morning. Like God is like wanting Jonah to speak wickedness against the people of Nineveh, but he wants him to do it face to face, which is very different than what other prophets have done in the past. Like many times, you know, prophets were able to stay within the confines of their own borders and their own protection, and they were able to speak, you know, judgment against a wicked people. But God wanted ne- uh, Jonah to go in person to Nineveh to stare them in the eyes. In fact, I love what one commentator said. It's like, you know, telling the prophet to go into the bully's yard and to preach judgment against the bully, you know, and then like literally haul off and like punch him across the face and hope you don't get hit. You know, like this is kind of the picture that's happening here to, to Jonah. And so this is, I mean, feel the tension this morning for this guy's life. I mean, this isn't an easy assignment that he's been given. So, you know, we can look at Jonah, we can judge him all day long, but yet, Like personally, like put yourself in his shoes, like this is a tense moment for him in this word that God has given uh, to him this morning. You know, many times, and here's the challenge for us, many times we filter through the word of God based on what's comfortable to us. God's given Jonah something that's very uncomfortable. You know, God's given Jonah an assignment that's tough for him, but yet like God is directing him to do something uh, that, that Jonah's imagination isn't even going to be able to, to fathom here as time goes on. But when God tells us to do something like he's done to Jonah and we choose not to do it, ultimately what we find is we're not just disobeying God, but yet that disobedience really leads to us breaking fellowship with God. So it's all about 
relationship in the end. You know, our obedience and our fellowship go hand in hand. And when we tell God no, we fall into sin and we fall out of fellowship with God and we fall out of relationship with him. I think a good way to like picture this is um, um, I've, I've got five kids in my house. My life is like pretty crazy. In fact, you might want to sit with some lawn chair and some popcorn and a Coke one day to watch my house. It's, it's pretty fun. My oldest is 16. My youngest is four. And my four-year-old currently thinks that she's a dog. And so she walks on all fours and we like occasionally will catch her like with a bowl of water licking out of the bowl, like our dog. So luckily she hasn't drunk out of the same bowl as our lab. So we're good there. That's why I'm not talking about parenting today. Um, maybe, maybe I'll figure that out one day and we can, we can talk about parenting too. But anyways, my four-year-old, she's sweet. Her name is Katie. Uh, we love her. She keeps us on our toes. But, you know, she's at that stage, that four-year-old stage where she just wants to do everything with you. You know, she, you know I'm, I'm cooking in the kitchen. She's right there on my hip sometimes, you know, getting in my way. You know, when I'm sitting on the couch, she wants to sit in my lap. She wants to watch funny videos on Instagram. You know, that's her, her fun thing to do. I mean, she's just sweet and she loves being in my presence. But yet the interesting thing happens, as much as she loves being in my presence, when we've asked her to do something, and because she can be a little feisty one and sometimes be rebellious, you know, in those moments when she disobeys and she doesn't do the words that we've asked her to do, what happens is that fellowship is broken. That relationship with her father and her mother is broken. It's the same picture that we see in scriptures in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve, when they sin against God and God comes to the garden to walk in the garden and to have fellowship with them. Where's Adam and Eve? They're not walking in fellowship with God anymore. They're hiding in the bushes away from his presence. And you see, that's the picture that we see over and over again in scripture, that obedience and fellowship go hand in hand. And God told Jonah to get up and go. And he doesn't mean just get to his feet uh, and, and stand up. Like this is a word of urgency. This message that he's given to Jonah is something that's important. Time should not be wasted. You shouldn't think about it. You just need to stand up and do what I've asked you to do, to take action and to go. But yet what we see in uh, the book of Jonah is we see Jonah, instead of obeying God and getting up to go, instead he got up and he went down. Instead of getting up to go up to Nineveh, he chose to get up and go down. So God wanted to go, Jonah to go against the status quo, to get outside of his borders, to do something hard. But yet this is something different. And I think we're going to see a deeper picture. We don't have time today to get into it, but there's a deeper thing going on in the heart of Jonah. See, Jonah didn't want to go to the people of Nineveh because I believe that there was just a, there was a hatred in his heart for these people. I mean, we see it by the time we get to chapter 4, literally where Jonah quotes from the book of Exodus, Exodus 34. But he says in Jonah 4.2, he said, I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. See, Jonah knew the character and the goodness of the God that we just sang about. And he knew if he went and preached judgment to these people, that he knew that God was gracious and was willing to forgive. No matter the atrocities that these people had done, God was merciful and gracious and abounding in love towards lost sinners. Let that be an encouragement to us, right? But God would forgive them from their sins. And so cooperating with God in the salvation of his own people was a privilege, yes, 2 Kings chapter 14. But cooperating with God on the salvation of his enemies, well, that, that was a different story for Jonah. 
You know, and many times I think this is where we find ourselves as a church. We filter through the word of God based on what's comfortable to us. God asks us to do things that aren't comfortable, but, but what if we responded to God the same way, uh, or responded to people, excuse me, uh, in, you know, in a different way than, than God? I mean, this is, God's trying to get our attention here. God gave a clear command to Jonah, but what does he do? He, he does what many of us do, and he turns and he runs. He runs. I mean, two times we see in this passage, look at verse 3 there, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Look at this word, underlined in your Bible there. He uh, fleed from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down to it to go with them to Tarshish once again, away from the presence of the Lord. Like Jonah's running, but where he's running from is from God. And when we run from what God has asked us to do, we're not just disobeying God, but we're running from his presence and his work in our lives. And when we run from God, ultimately, like we're rebelling against him. And rebellion is just literally simply saying no to God. God tells us to do something and we choose to say no. And in that moment when we choose to say no, what we do is we turn our backs on God and we do it our own way. And the, there's a lot of us that find ourselves just like Jonah, where on the outside, it looks like we're doing everything right. On the outside, we're, you know, hey, Jonah had a great ministry in Israel. It looked like that he had it all together, but there's one area in his life where he said no to God on. You know, what about you this morning? Are, are you like Jonah, where maybe on the outside, it looks like everything's together, but there's one area of your life where you're saying no to him. You know, maybe it's, it's a relationship that you know that isn't pleasing to God. Maybe it's a sacrifice that he wants you to make. It's a person you need to share the gospel with, a sin that you need to repent of, a place where you need to serve. Maybe it's even a job that you need to quit because it's not where God wants you. You know, here's the challenge for us. You're never farther from God than when you're close to him and you say no. We might feel like we're close to him but in that moment, just like with my daughter, when we might be close, like physically, but when she says no, there's, there's a relationship that's broken there. There's disobedience, and, and disobedience ultimately leads to rebellion, and many of us are stuck right here today. Like, we're stuck right here in 2023, like in this moment, like in this story, right here with Jonah, where God has told us something to do, and we know it, it's in the back of our mind, we think about it all the time, but God told Jonah to get up and go, but yet he got up and he went down. He's moved into full-on rebellion against the word of God, and so he goes and charters a boat to the south to go to Tarshish, and you say, well, where is Tarshish? Well, physically, it's 1,500 miles in the opposite direction. Um, but yet, functionally, Tarshish is anywhere but the place where God wants us. You know, you might not be getting on a boat and going to Tarshish, but you might have a functional Tarshish that you're running to. It's anywhere but the right place. It's the opposite direction, the direction a person takes when they turn their backs on God and go down. It's the excuses that we give to rationalize our sin and our disobedience. And Jonah finds a ship going the opposite direction and he jumps on board. Now, let's stop here just for a moment too and, and think about this. You know that there's always going to be a ship going in the opposite direction of where God has asked you to go. I mean, there's always going to be a ship that's going to lead you away from the presence of God. You know, we see this all the time, you know, as a pastor, I, I deal with a lot of 
you know, marriage counseling and, um, you know, issues that people are having in their lives. And you hear it oftentimes where people are like, well, God wants me to be happy. And, you know, my relationship with my spouse has just been really tough and we just haven't been getting along. But then I met this person, you know, at work and man, they just make me happy. Like, I just enjoy like being with them. Like, certainly God wants me to be happy. Like, cer- certainly like this, this is what God like means for me. You know what, I, you know what, Nathan, I've even got a peace about this decision that I'm making. Like God has put a peace in my heart about this decision that I'm making. Now, peace is an important thing when looking at the, the will of God, but you, you do know, I mean, God wants us to have peace in our heart, but you know the devil can give us peace too for our sin. Now, I'm sure Jonah had a peace in his heart about where he was, but a peace is a gift from God, but it can also be a deception of the devil. And if God's word has been clear about a way that we're supposed to live, a way that we're supposed to act, something that we're supposed to do. And God's word has been clear, especially in the aspect of something like marriage. And yet we ignore the word of God, like no amount of justification or no amount of peace is ever going to trump what God's word has already said. Like beware, beware of the ship ready to go to Tarshish. You know, God's word is more than just information. Like it it needs, it causes us to respond and we either respond to God in obedience or we turn our backs on him. And, And so God's word has been clear to Jonah and this is a big challenge for Jonah. I know it's a hard pill to swallow, but yet God has been clear about what Jonah is supposed to do. But yet what do we see him do? We see him running. You know, many times we're searching for the will of God as if it's some magical formula, but yet over and over and over again in God's word, it tells us what we're to do, just like it is. And Jonah, think about this. You know, husbands are to love their wives, Colossians 3.9. Children obey their parents, Colossians 3.20. We're to abstain from sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. We need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, Colossians 1. Give thanks in all things, 1 Thessalonians 5. We're to do good works, 1 Peter 2. How about count it all joy uh, when we fall into trials, James chapter 1. I mean, we could spend all day going through the promises of Scripture and the thing that God has told us to do, the, the will of God that is clear in the pages of God's Word. And we've got to read those words and not just gloss over them and ignore them, but we have to let them implant in our hearts and for them to become real in our lives. And so here's Jonah. God's Word has been clear, but like Jonah, we oftentimes rationalize our disobedience. We rationalize the rebellion by thinking that something good can come out of it. And Jonah's like, hey, you know, I can, you know, turn my back on God and and maybe God will send someone else to the Ninevites. But Jonah was fleeing from the presence of God. It wasn't that Jonah didn't want to do what God asked him to do. Ultimately, Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with God. And so he fleed from his presence. See, but here's the beautiful picture of God's word and the goodness of our God. Like, don't miss this. You might be where Jonah is today, fleeing from the presence of God. But when we run from God's mercy, ultimately what we do is run smack into God. I mean, look at this secondly with me. When we run from God's mercy, what we see ultimately is that God pursues us in our self-reliance. You know, Jonah's trying to do it his way, not God's way. He's trying to do it God's way. He's trying to rely on himself and not do it God's plan. And if we ever think that God's just going to gloss over it and ignore it, 
We're deceiving ourselves, and so God pursues him. God takes direct action against Jonah. You see in verse 4, like God literally hurls a storm. Like this just isn't some accidental storm that's popped up. I mean, you can see it in the fear and the anxiety and the, the, the seasoned sailors who have been on this ocean a lot. I mean, they, they knew how to deal with storms, and this storm is something special. God is sending a direct action to get the attention of the prophet. These men were afraid. They're crying out to their gods. They're hurling their cargo over. They think that they're going to die. And while this whole scene of chaos, utter chaos is happening on the deck, where do we find Jonah? He's down in the belly of the ship, sleeping. Jonah's gone down in the inner parts of the ship. He's laying down. He was fast asleep. Jonah's continuing his flight from the presence of God. Notice this downward language. You know, God told him to get up. And what does the author say? He's going down to Joppa in verse 3, going down below deck, verse 5. He's laid down. And in chapter 2, verse 6, he, he actually goes down into the depths. I mean, over and over. I mean, there's a, a picture that the author is trying to help us see. Fleeing away from the presence of God is a downward spiral into sin. The wind and the waves are blowing, they're crashing, and Jonah's fast asleep. He's literally sleeping in the midst of God's power. God is doing a mighty act and a mighty work all around him, a miracle. These mighty things are happening around Jonah, and he's sleeping. God is showing himself strong, and Jonah is completely out of it. And you say, well, how in the world can Jonah miss this? You see, this is what happens you know, when we're running from God, it drains us spiritually, emotionally, physically. I mean, maybe you're here at the end uh, of 2023 and you are just done. Like, you're, you're spent. There's nothing left to give because you've been like Jonah. You've been on the run and God's sending the storm in your life and you're sleeping through the middle of it because you're just so done. Like, God sends things like storms and he's going to send these sailors here in just a minute to wake us up so that we can see like what are we running from what has God called us to do that that we're unwilling to do what storm in our life is happening today because we're running God is trying to get our attention even in the midst of our our spiritual and our physical and our mental and emotional exhaustion, God still has grace to find us where we are, buried on the ship, going the wrong direction, fast asleep, missing God's power and work all around us. But God loves us so much that he pursues us. Look at this, verse 7. The story continues. The sailors are like, who in the world is, is causing this problem? So they cast lots. The lot falls on Jonah. I mean, Jonah's trying to hide he, he wants to live in anonymity here, but yet he's found out. They're like, what did you do? Like, Jonah, who are you? So Jonah in verse 9 has to admit, he said, hey, I'm a Hebrew. I, I fear the Lord, the God of heavens who made the, the sea and the dry land. And, you know, I mean, this, this is a powerful statement he's making here. Like, these men, their understanding of gods are defined by borders and nations and land and sea like gods can't cross over like other gods territories Jonah just like opens the can of worms and and tells them that hey the god that I worship like he's not defined by nations he's not defined by borders he's not defined by the land he's not defined by the heavens or the sea like he is god over all and and what is their response they're like come, come on man like what were you thinking like, what have you done? How do you think that you're going to flee from this great and awesome God? 
Like, did you honestly think that, that you could just run from him and not have consequences? And in this moment, there's, there's a fear that grips these sailors' hearts because they understand the gravity of the situation where they are. I mean, Jonah would have known the passage like in Psalms 139.7, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I free, or flee from your presence? Like, there's no place that we can go. There's, there's no outrunning God when we're fleeing from him. But yet, like, let's see the grace in this passage because we don't want to outrun God. Because when we turn our backs and we run on him, he, he runs after us and he pursues us. And so God is here prepared to break up the ship, drown Jonah, let all of these idol-worshiping sailors perish, all in response to Jonah's sin. And the ironic thing about this whole story is that, that here Jonah's on a boat with a bunch of idol-worshiping, godless men, but yet he's on the boat, an idol-worshiper himself. You know, that boat on the way to Tarshish has become his functional idol. It's taken the place of God in his life. It's where he has purchased his safety and his security. It's where he has put his hope. And he's on this boat and he's floating away from the presence of God. And God is literally coming to destroy his functional idol. This ship has become where he is putting his hope for the future. But yet oftentimes we find ourselves in the same place. We put our confidence in things that we hope can save us. But God appoints things to come and to wreck our idols, our jobs, our educations, money, influence, relationships. I mean, sometimes even our religion. You know, this is about a relationship with God, and sometimes even that can get in the way, and Jonah's still trying to hide. But the captain comes to Amy and he says, you've got to wake up and you've got to call out to your God. The very person that Jonah's trying to flee from, this godless sailor is trying to wake him up to say, the person that you're trying to flee from, you need to go after him and talk to him. So Jonah's confronted with this terrifying situation. He knows that there's no help. He knows that the only hope for these sailors is for him to be surrendered to the God in which he's fleeing from. And so Jonah tells the sailors, he said, I, I, you just throw me overboard. Like surrender me to the God that, that is pursuing me. Like I've been trying to do it myself. Like just throw me overboard, throw me into his arms. Like it's, it's done. I mean, the sailors are afraid that they're gonna have judgment on themselves. They try to, you know, get around this plan and eventually they just are like, okay, we'll just do it. They chuck Jonah overboard. They pick him up, they throw him into the sea and immediately the judgment of God stops. You know, here's the beautiful thing about this passage of scripture. You know, we think that this is the end for Jonah. You know, God pursued him. You know, judgment is happening on Jonah. The judgment he was supposed to preach against Nineveh, but that's not the end of the story. You know, God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. And as Jonah hit the water and as he's trying to swim and he's trying to save himself, as the waves crash over the top of him, all of a sudden, like God sends a fish to save him. Look at this. When we run, lastly, from God's mercy, God rescues us in our rebellion. You know, we try to flee from God's presence, like, but he pursues us in the midst of, of our self-reliance. But God 
in the midst of us turning our backs on God, like the goodness of God is not held back by our own sin and our own rebellion, but yet God rescues us in our rebellion. Like the truth is, is that we won't truly know the grace of God until we give up trying to do it ourselves until we jump off of our functional idols and we give ourselves over to God. And it's in that moment where Jonah thought was his end that he truly found his salvation. God is persistent and doesn't abandon Jonah even when he's running. And God is persistent and doesn't abandon us even when we are running from him. Like, do you see yourself in the life of Jonah? Like God is giving us opportunities over and over, just like he's done Jonah here, to come clean. And we can't miss those opportunities to come clean before him. And so the Lord appoints this great fish to swallow up Jonah. And, you know, we can get lost in, you know, was this a fish or a whale? You know, like, is this even naturally, like, possible? I don't know. Like, let's call the scientist. Like, I mean, let's just forget about all of that. Uh, here for a moment because the same God who spoke the heavens into existence out of nothing can handle like putting a guy in a fish for three days. I mean, God will go to extreme measures to get our attention. And he'll even use miraculous ways oftentimes. I mean, he spoke through a donkey. And the, I mean, over and over again throughout scriptures, God uses things to get his people's attention. And God is still doing it today. Never underestimate the means God will use to get your attention. And so this story reminds us here that God has an endless supply of resources at his disposal. Never underestimate God. And in this moment, here's the beautiful picture of it. In this moment, in this dark, smelly, stinky place, when Jonah's given up, he's tired of doing it his own way. What does Jonah do in verse 1 of chapter 2? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. You know, this is a, a beautiful reminder for us this morning. Like, there's no place that, that's too low where you can't cry out to God. Like, there's no sin. You, you might be here this morning and you think, Nathan, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the brokenness that surrounds my life. Like, you don't know the poor choices that I've made. I mean, our, the scriptures are filled with messy people. I mean, everyone in this story was messed up. Jonah, you got the sailors, you've got the Ninevites. And through this all, like you see this, this vein of grace and mercy and love and of the goodness of God. Like there is no place too low, no sin too big where you can't find the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And he will pursue you in the midst of that. Like don't miss it. Don't miss God's appointed means that he has sent in your life to get your attention. You know, this is a story really about divine appointments. <coughs> Jonah had a divine appointment to go to Nineveh, and he ignored that, but God wasn't done with him. Like, what, what is your divine appointment today? What about you today? Where are you in this story? You know, I think so many of us find ourselves like stuck right here where Jonah is. We're stuck between the word of God and, and obedience to God. And, you know, God wants you to live. I want you to live in this goodness, this fellowship, this grace of God. But yet we can't rest in that peace and in that relationship because there's something that we're saying no to God. You know, it's different for every one of us in this room. But what is that thing that's keeping you from growing in your relationship with God? Maybe you find yourself 
in the person of Jonah in this story. You know, God's word been, has been made clear in your life. You know what he's telling you to do, but you're going the opposite direction. You know, maybe you're in the midst of a storm and 2023 has been a bad year because God sent a storm in your life to get your attention. Like, don't miss the opportunity like Jonah has to commit your heart and life to God. Don't miss the opportunity to repent of your sins and to come back into fellowship with him. Well, maybe you're here this morning in a room of, of this size. You're here and you find yourself like the sailors or the Ninevites. You know, you're idol-worshiping sinners. I mean, these people have done things far more vile than what we could ever imagine. But yet the grace of God was still poured out on the pages of these scriptures to these people. Like, listen to the testimony of the sailors when they saw the power of God working in their lives, they committed their heart and their life and they begin to worship God. Like maybe today, today is your day. And in fact, in just a, a minute here, we're gonna have pastors across the front and up in the balconies by the exit signs. And maybe like this morning, like you need to be like the sailors and come forward and find one of those pastors and say, you know, hey pastor, I, you know, I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Like I need to stop running from God and I'm gonna come today and I, and I wanna commit my heart and life to Jesus, I'm gonna repent of my sins and turn, turn to him. Don't miss the opportunity today of God calling you to calling you back to grace. And I want you to know the goodness of God. I want you to live in fellowship with him. And so church, let's not run from his presence this morning. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release. 